Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, your digital or your analog Bible. And let's dig into God's Word. Today, we see the heart of God in contrast with the self-righteous attitudes of this world. And before we get into today's message and you start pointing fingers and being like, how could he, right? Maybe we just ask God, God, open, open our eyes, search my heart, and if there be anything in me that, that you need to get out today or, or you need to adjust, uh, help my heart to be ready and open and willing, amen? And so Luke 7, 36 through 50, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, they're the religious elite, and so many times throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees were like out to get Jesus. They, they asked questions to try to trap him. They obviously didn't like him very much. Some were intrigued, like Nicodemus. Some maybe had a closet faith, but generally, they were kind of out to get him. And so it says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And so in this Eastern context, you got to understand that Jesus was reclining at the table, which means he was probably on his left elbow and his feet were out behind him. And there's, they're reclined around a table and they're eating. And so this woman literally comes up behind him, kneels down to the ground and starts to anoint and kiss and weep Jesus's dirty feet. So this isn't like just like maybe you're like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like it is today and the house is clean and no one, no one wears their shoes in the house and, and you know, it's just spotless. And, and so, okay, maybe, no, no, his feet were dirty. And we'll find out why later in the, in the story. And, but this story that we're looking at today, it could not be more public. It could not be more confrontational. Honestly, especially those of you that are kind of weirded out by feet, it couldn't be more awkward, Right? Kids have slang for feet these days. I'm not going to mention the word, but I hear them talk about it all the time. It's kind of weird. And so, totally out in the open, and you say, well, Joe, they're in the house, but listen to the context. Because sometimes when we read these stories, it's kind of hard to place ourselves in the context and really understand the weight of it. But Simon was not only a Pharisee, he was rich. And the rich many times had houses with open courtyards. And it's very likely that, that when, when these rich people would have guests, they're not just asking anybody over to be their guests. They're, acting, they're asking the rich and the famous and people of notoriety to come over and be the guest. And so many times they would have their meals in this open courtyard. And guess what would happen? People would surround the open courtyard and watch from outside the wall. Can you imagine? It's like, hey, you're having dinner, but you want everybody to see it. Nowadays, it's like the rich and famous, they want to they get away from the paparazzi, and they want to kind of find a pr- place of, of privacy, but not Simon. He wanted everyone to see. 
that Jesus was in his house. And so it's very likely that he let people stand around to watch the spectacle so that he could be seen with Jesus. This is like old school Instagram. I mean, really, think about it. He's like, look who I'm with. Some of you, you can't go to a party without letting everybody know where you're at and who's there. It's like, hey, look at me, look who I'm with. And it's, a, and it's the exact same kind of heart that Simon was operating with. Some of you spiritually, you're like, hey, check me out. I'm doing my devotions. <laughs> you, can't, you can't open God's word and spend some time with him without posting it on Facebook. And so it's the same kind of idea. He's like, hey, Jesus is popular. He's gaining notoriety. People are coming from all over to hear him speak. This guy is super popular out in the world, and I want to be seen with him. Simon was probably more interested in being seen with a celebrity than being or than really hearing what Jesus had to say, and especially without, you know, more than trying to understand. He wasn't interested really in what Jesus had to say. And so in the middle of this spectacle, for which Jesus still had grace and patience, because you think about it, Jesus had already had encounters with the Pharisees. He probably knew what he was getting into. Let's just be honest, he's Jesus. He knew what he was getting himself into, and he still had grace for Simon. He had grace for him. And in the middle of all this, there's this woman crashing the party. And she didn't stay outside the wall like everyone else did, just looking on. She wasn't in it for the drama. She wasn't in it for the selfish motives. She could really care less about who's watching. And here she is just pouring out her love on Jesus. And so it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Underline that because that's, that's, gotta, that's gotta just make you think that Jesus, that Simon didn't say this out loud. Jesus knew what he was thinking. Maybe he could tell by the look on Simon's face what Simon was thinking. Maybe there was a look of disgust. We don't know. But Jesus knew Simon's thoughts and he answered those thoughts and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, in the original language, when he said this, the, the connotation was that he was going to say something stern, that he was going to give him a word, that he was going to give him a talking to. Or where I come from down in Missouri, it's going to get taken out behind the woodshed, right? Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. So Simon's ready. So just think about it. There's a woman who's worshiping Jesus publicly like she just doesn't care and there's a man whose thoughts are preoccupied with the image and reputation and judgment. Jesus knows the man's thoughts. And so we can also assume that Jesus knows the woman's thoughts. And so he tells the story. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one. And just so you know, that would take in that time about a year and a half to earn. And 50 pieces to another, which would take about a month and a half to earn. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And so who's Jesus talking about here? First of all, the man who loaned the money. Any guesses? That's God. That's Jesus. He's the one loaning the money here. The people in the story, it could be you, it could be me. It's specifically here, it's Simon and the woman. Simon the Pharisee and this woman at Jesus' feet. And in case, just in case, Simon and everyone else watching that day didn't understand, Jesus just goes there and gets really personal in a very public way. Think about it. Everybody's watching. And Jesus is about to tell Simon what's up. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer to wash the dust from my feet. That's why his feet were dirty. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which was customary at that time. But from, t- but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And like many men on the face of the planet, just royally missed the entire point, right? It's like they didn't even hear this story, and he's like, what, 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 what? He's forgiving sins? Whoa, what's going on? And Jesus said to the woman, just ignoring them, he's like, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Let's pray today. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the stories that you told. God, we thank you for what they teach us about the kingdom of God and life. God, we thank you that Every story that you told, you're, you're unpacking who you are, what you're like, so that we can know you better. I pray today that as we unpack this, that we don't leave the same as when we came in, but that we can really settle into the grace of a God who really loves us, that gives us power to live a different life, God that has secured our future, God, we can just rest in that peace. We can go in peace today if we put our lives in your hands, if we trust you. And so I pray for every person in this place today that before this time is over, that they can have an encounter with Jesus, that our hearts can break for the same things that break yours, that we can worship you as authentically as this woman did and that we could see what we're supposed to see instead of completely missing the point like the Pharisees did. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does Jesus' story teach us today? We could go a million directions with this, but my hope and prayer today is that we just bring this down to the irreducibles, what Jesus was all about, and some things that you can learn from this story. And so number one, we learned that your reputation might precede you, but so did his love. Let this sink in. Your reputation, what you've done in your past, you know, some people, I I hear them say when they come into church, they're fully expecting like the roof to fall in on their head. 
I've literally heard people say that because they're afraid of God and they're afraid of, of, of his reaction. And even worse, they're afraid of the reactions of people in the church because especially in a small town, which Milford's not that big, especially if you grew up here, you might be afraid when you walk in here that there's people that see you, that know what you used to be like. Maybe you were a jerk to them in, in high school or in elementary school. And, and, and you're just kind of walking around carrying the shame and the reputation of your old life. It says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, it isn't clear whether or not Jesus and the woman had met before, but for some reason, she was totally comfortable coming to him and making a huge financial and material sacrifice. Despite having a reputation that was not good, the draw of Jesus's love overcame that bad reputation that she carried around. She knew that everyone knew what she used to be like, and she just didn't care. And so the question for you and me is what in the world would drive somebody to not care about their reputation anymore, to not care about their old life, to kind of leave that shame and that regret and just go and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. And the best that I can come up with is that Jesus accept, is, accepts you as you are. His love for you is unconditional. Now, we know based on this, this scripture that his acceptance does not equate to approval. It's unconditional love, and there's a huge difference. Acceptance is not approval. Jesus accepting you doesn't mean that, hey, everything in your life just needs to say the same. No, this woman came and, and offered this amazing act of repentance, and Jesus forgave her sins and told her to go in peace, right? There's a huge difference between acceptance and approval, and, and there's a difference between acceptance and, or approval and unconditional love, they're, they're two completely different things. And we get hung up on that these days. Unconditional love is what Jesus has for you and for me. And unconditional love says that even when you hurt me, I'll love you. Parents, we know this because sometimes our, our kids might do or say things that are hurtful to us. And you might even start to say, after all I've done for you, <laughs> you guys are laughing because it's true. You as a parent have said that. But nothing that your kid could ever do could probably rip the love out of your heart. You might be disappointed. You might not approve. You might, you know, want them to pick a different path. But you're still loving them. And it's the same with Jesus. His love came first, not as a result of the woman's actions, but it's just because of who he is. And so our seal of approval today, when we come to Jesus, our seal of approval comes through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, not our actions or how good we are. Amen? Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And so before you ever did anything to act upon the faith that you had in Christ, Jesus died for you. And so that's what we mean when we say that your reputation might precede you, but so did his love long before you were ever born. Christ chose you and he loved you and it gave him great pleasure to call you his. 
1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Jesus' love always comes first in your life. And so it doesn't matter what you bring to him. It doesn't matter the shame or the regret that you might be carrying. He has open arms for you, just like that song that we sang this morning. The safest place that you could ever be is in the arms of your Savior. Because you gotta think this woman is running into a, a hostile environment. And yet, she feels utterly and completely safe at the feet of Jesus. Let that sink in. His acceptance of sinners like you and me and this woman give us greater freedom to acknowledge our wrongdoing and to seek from him a remedy for our sinful past. It creates a safe place. So many people label Christianity and even label Jesus and even label you know, what we do as, as judgy, right? But in reality, Jesus is the most accepting person on the planet and he creates a safe place where people can acknowledge their need for him. The Bible is so clear that his acceptance and his patience for you opens the door to repentance. Repentance, which is acknowledging that, hey, I've messed up and I need to change. The safest place that we can ever be is where we can admit we're wrong and be loved toward something better. You see, these days people want to They don't want to admit they're wrong. They just want to be loved. And God forbid if you ever try to lead them towards something different other than what their heart says. Is anybody here? Right? That's that's our culture's view of acceptance. But Jesus creates a place that is so safe that you can even admit that you're wrong and still be loved. Man, I hope that this gets deep in your heart today. The safest place we can ever be is where we can admit that we're wrong and be loved toward something better. When this woman came in and she starts to bawl and weep all over Jesus' feet, her hair was uncovered. And for you and for me, you're like, big deal. Who cares? Well, in this day and age, for her to be in public in the presence of all these men without her hair covered, it was shameful. It was something that she should only have done behind closed doors with her husband. And yet, she felt safe in Jesus' presence to release the shame, to be completely vulnerable, to be completely safe with him. Ephesians 1.4 says, even before the the world, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And so what she was doing was she was stepping into the safe place of being who God created her to be in the beginning. To step out of her shame and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. She had found her place, her true identity, her purpose. Not only that, Jesus elevated her actions above the religious elite. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that surrender and repentance is more important than knowledge. 
It's more important than who you know. It's more important than what you look like. It's more important than your past. When you come to Jesus in a heart of surrender and repentance, Jesus puts his big arms around you and just loves you and leads you towards something better. Amen? Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, underline all these, these, these descriptor words, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Man, this is good. She felt safe to come to Jesus even with her past because Jesus' love preceded her reputation. And you can be safe. You can feel safe to run into the arms of a loving God, even with all your guilt, even with all your shame. And you might put up a, a strong front to people and be like, oh, this is just who I am. And, and you know, this is whatever. But, but God sees your heart and he sees that deep seed of shame and hurt and regret and, and all the sin and the stuff that, that you can't take care of on your own. And if you could have taken care of it on your own, you would have already. And you can run into the safe arms of a loving God who doesn't approve of your sin, but loves you in spite of it, and is gonna lead you to something better, amen? Amen, we serve a good God, amen. Number two, the second thing that we learn from this story today is that we all have a debt we cannot pay. We all have a debt we cannot pay. It says a man loaned money to two people, and we already defined who those two people were. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither, underline that word, that's a big one, neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. This blows my mind because Jesus was not only talking to the girl who was doing the right thing, he was also talking to Simon. He was saying, you both have a debt, neither of you could repay it. But Jesus offers forgiveness to both offers forgiveness to the self-righteous and to the unrighteous. Jesus alluded here to a fundamental truth in our life. We cannot pay our sin debt. It's absolutely impossible. It doesn't matter if your debt is small or large. Jesus forgives any size debt. A debt is a debt, and it has to be paid. It doesn't matter how big it is. The point here isn't that one is worse than the other, like the bigger debt is, is, is worse than the smaller debt. The point is a challenge, and this is what you need to get out of this today. Do you acknowledge what Jesus is offering you? Do you acknowledge what he has done for you? And do you recognize your need for him? Because your response to God's grace shows how much you value God's grace. And think about it, and this is where it really gets real. What does my response to God's grace look like in my life? Because your response to God's grace is what drives your priorities, your choices, your calendar. Everything that you do in life should be a response to the grace of God in your life. Let me illustrate this. A debt is a debt, right? Well, one time I had you know, paid some medical bills or whatnot, and somehow... I don't, maybe I typed some numbers in wrong or whatnot, but I paid probably like, you know, 
300 and some dollars of, uh, of the bill and somehow 27 cents got left on the ledger. Maybe I typed it in wrong. Maybe, maybe they threw it, uh, an extra ibuprofen on there. I don't know, except for they charge like 80 bucks for each ibuprofen. Have you ever noticed that? But we, we, won't, we won't get into all that. But, but there's 27 cents left on the bill. And so I get this letter in the mail from them, and I'm assuming I paid and no big deal. And lo and behold, you open up that bill, and guess what it says? You owe 27 cents. What do you think my attitude was like when I look at a bill with 27 cents on it? I'm like, seriously? It cost more to send me the bill than it cost to pay the bill. Because this is like recently. Did you know that a, a stamp has not been below 27 cents since January of 1991? Come on, somebody. It's like, come on. You're going to squabble over 27 cents. But you know that they are not going to stop until they get their 27 cents. And so I go online and I open up the online bill pay portal. And what do I do? I type in 27 cents. Because if I don't, what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to send that bill though ever so small, to the collectors. And I'm going to start getting more phone calls and more letters. And the severity of it is just going to increase all over a measly 27 cents. Right? You've been there. And so you might not think that what you've done in life necessitated Jesus' death on the cross. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you think about your debt. It doesn't matter if you think it should be paid. It doesn't matter if you think that it's a big deal or not. Because he did. And he was going to pursue you. And he was going to lay down his life for that debt regardless of how you felt about it. And it really didn't matter how much, what you thought about the debt. It didn't. Why? Because we don't get to decide the wages of our sin or how they get paid. Jesus did that. I didn't get to decide that just because my debt was only 27 cents, it's no big deal. I had to honor that arrangement and that agreement regardless of the price. And here's the takeaway. Until you acknowledge the severity of your sin in contrast with the love of our God, it's going to be really hard to worship Him with a pure heart. And until you acknowledge the severity of your sin and the fact that it just has to get paid, you're going to look at people who worship Jesus like she did and maybe turn your nose up just a little bit. You see, God is all about getting what is His in a good way. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I will not give glory, my glory, to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. I love this because it just gives a little picture into God's heart. He is going to get the glory. He is going to get the praise. 
He is going to be, uh, to, to, to be worshiped forever. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee. And so the question isn't, is the debt going to be paid? The question is, am I going to respond to my need for a Savior? Am I going to recognize God's grace for what it is? An amazing, huge gift. The paying of a debt that I owed that I could not pay. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. This is the attitude that we all need to have. Because obviously the Pharisee Simon in this passage didn't. He didn't get it. He didn't see that he also had a debt that had to be paid. Number three, the third thing that we, that we learn as, as we close today, we see that pride holds us hostage, but humility sets us free. Pride will hold you hostage in your relationships, in your life, if your relationship with God. The Bible is very, very clear that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But humility sets you free. It says, then, then he turned to the woman and Simon, and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. And he's saying, look, because obviously Simon didn't see what Jesus saw. And that's a really important thing to remember. Simon did not see with his spiritual eyes the same thing that Jesus saw with his spiritual eyes. Look at the woman. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointing my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. And so what we see here is there's a prideful person, Simon, and there's a person that has humility. And the person with humility gets close to God, and the person without humility just doesn't even respect God and rejects him. And here's the deal. When your lens isn't grace, when you look at people, when you look at situations, when you look at life, if your lens isn't grace, you might not even see it happening. If your lens, Simon's lens was not grace. He was negative. He was judgmental. He was prideful. He didn't see grace right in front of him. Jesus was grace personified, and, and Simon didn't even honor the grace that was literally present in his own life. He thought Jesus was at his party when Jesus was the party. Simon didn't wash his feet, didn't give him oil. Didn't, he treated him lower than other guests. And so Simon's neglect of Jesus and, and doing these, these courtesies for him, it wasn't just like, oh, he just, he just treated Jesus like, Jesus like it was Jesus' home. No, he treated him lower than he would treat just a common guest that would come to his house. Think about that. A teacher of the law, a religious person, wasn't even able to identify grace when he saw it. He couldn't even identify it. And instead, he just elevated himself. 
On the flip side, though, when you're in grace, it doesn't matter what else is happening. You just want to worship the giver of grace. When you're in grace, when you're living in it, when you're experiencing it, when you open up yourself to the fact that you can't pay the debt that you owe and you say, Jesus, pay my debt. I accept your grace. I accept your free gift of salvation. You just want to worship the giver of grace and you don't care about anything else. You don't care about your past. You don't care about anything. You're broken by the grace of God. And though we don't know for sure, it's not clear in the scripture, but I just have to think that she must have met Jesus prior to this and she must have received his grace previous to this moment because what she was doing is what free people do. They're free to worship Jesus without inhibition because her whole viewpoint had been changed. She didn't care about the people watching. She didn't care about uh, tradition. She didn't care about rituals. She didn't care about any of that. She just wanted to worship Jesus. God's grace changes your view of what's important in life. She had a completely new set of priorities. She didn't care how much the perfume was worth. He was worth it. Come on now. He was worth it. She was completely broken and in awe of the grace of the Savior. She was completely available to worship the Savior with her life. She was surrendered. This was an outward display of what was already happening on the inside of her. Now, your outward display might look different than hers based on your personality or your wiring, and that's okay. But the surrender in your heart should be the same. You might say, Joe, I never cry. I never, I'm never moved that emotionally. You know, and, and maybe you, on the outside, you know, no one knows what's going on in your life. But what's important is that God is breaking your heart that you're just becoming in awe of the grace of God and that you're pouring out everything that you need to give him because you're looking at life through the lens of grace. Your surrender should be the same. And what's amazing is that the peace is the same too. You're free. And some of you need to take advantage of this today because you're living your life based on the thoughts and the opinions of others. And it's like you're in the middle of that courtyard and the court of public opinion is just beating down in your life and you're worried about your past and you're worried about what people think and you're worried about looking good and you're worried about you know excelling and you're worried about all this other stuff. When Jesus says, I just want you. I just want your surrender. I just want you to be available. I just want you to be able to worry most about what I think instead of what the world thinks. Right? Man, may it be said of you and me and every person in this place today that we are saved and that we can go in peace. Free. Free from the thoughts of this world free from our reputations and our our shameful past, forgiven, walking away from sin instead of into it. God's love came to you when you needed it most. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay. It's time to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm available. Instead of adding him to our plans, we need to get on his plan. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet today. We're going to sing a song and as we respond. And I want to encourage you to think about where you're at in this story. 
Are you the one thinking that your life isn't that bad? Are you the one thinking that you don't really have anything to change? Are you the one thinking that, hey, I just came to church because, you know, uh, I was supposed to? And, and you're like, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And when you see somebody that's really messed up and has a, has a really broken past, you might even turn your nose up a little bit. Or are you the person that's ready to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I need you. I have a debt I couldn't pay. I need you to help me. Because you see, church, we might act like the Pharisee, but we're all the woman. All of us. Neither of them could pay the debt. And so our only response is to fall at the feet of Jesus and pour out what's most precious to us. Amen? Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.